0: Like I said, we are going to be starting a new series here uh, this summer, and uh, it's called "People Are Worth It," and uh, kind of talking about the meaning behind it. I, I, you know, we kind of had a lot of different things come up around uh, this church with different mission opportunities, and uh, Chris and Rose coming back, and you know, I just started thinking to ourselves, you know, do we really put an emphasis on people? Do we really focus on people and what our job is uh, to do with people, loving people, sharing the gospel with people? And as I started thinking about this, I started thinking, man we could go a long ways with this. So that's kind of how this thing kind of got put together. and then uh, kind of a, a main verse that's kind of going to be surrounding this entire series is going to be uh, Colossians three twelve to fifteen, and it says, And, you know, not necessarily we're going to be breaking this scripture down, but kind of looking at it as a basis. You know, the thing that stuck out to me when I first read this particular scripture was, put on then as God's chosen people. And that's kind of where we got to where the first uh, sermon in our series is going to be. And it's us understanding who we are to God. If we can't understand who we are to God then how are we supposed to understand who others are to God and how we are supposed to love them just as Christ loved us? And some other sermons that are going to be going along with this is, seeing, today we're looking about our worth in ourselves and then seeing the worth in others, um, not judging a book by its cover, uh, not sharing is not loving, You know, talking about how we, when we don't share the gospel, we're really not loving people the way we should. And, you know, there's several others beyond that. But I just wanted to kind of introduce that series today of what i have been going to be going through called People Are Worth It. So let's go ahead and uh, bow in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and uh, dig into what God has for us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you so much for... Um, People. We thank you so much for what uh, you have done in our lives and, and how you started from the very beginning in creation and how you have got us to where we are today. And Lord, we just thank you so much that uh, you love us the way that you do. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this, we can start to see other people the way that you see us and that we can start loving them and uh, doing the work that you have for us prepare, have prepared for us for them And Lord, right now, Lord, I just pray that you empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit to deliver a message, not from me this morning, but from you, so that the people here may be uh, changed by this scripture that we have here today. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your heaven name we pray. Amen. So if you look at your sermon notes, uh, the first thing that we're going to kind of talk about today is worth creating. And I know that we uh, see this all the time. We talk about creation. And we talk about how, yeah, you know, God is our creator. God created us. But I think we sometimes don't really dig deep into it and understand why and how and when and all of these different questions that really put in perspective of what God creating us really meant. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm Psalms 139. Psalms 139. And we're going to be reading verses 13 to 16, because this really paints a picture of God creating us. So Psalms 139, verses 13 to 16. And it says this, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven into the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I think that paints the beautiful picture of God creating us. It breaks down every single detail of how, when, and how He planned everything out in our lives. So I kind of broke this verse down. We're going to go piece by piece through this. And the first part, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Have you ever stepped back and thought about this verse? I mean, how awesome is this particular verse right here? He formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. You know, what happens is one point when I started reading this, I started thinking about um, creating a child. And I started thinking about the birth of a child. And what happens is, and I've never been in there, but I've seen you know, people and talked to people and seen what stuff happens. But the first thing that happens is a child is born. And what do they do with the child? They, as quickly as possible, get it cleaned up and they hand it to the mother. Because the mother has carried this child with them for nine months, and then they want to be with their mom, the one that created them. And they put them on there, and it's just kind of, it's a warm feeling, it's a warm moment of a mother and a child being brought together, because they have been so closely with them through this nine-month pregnancy. But my thing is, it's really cool if you think about this, is this wasn't the initial relationship that we had. You know, we think about the initiation with our mother, we're with them for nine months, But there was a relationship that we had and a person that we had met way before we even met our mothers. Because it tells us right here that for you, my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So before we were even known to our parents yet, God was already forming us and he was knitting us together in our mother's womb. So God was really the first person to ever come into contact with us. It's really cool how you think about this as the initial relationship that all of us here have started with. It's not with our moms. It's not with our dads. It was with God, our creator. And the really cool thing is, is when you think about knitting together in your mother's womb, I don't knit Okay, I'm sure there's people in here that do, but I'm thinking about knitting, and I'm thinking about the, the, pr- the precision and the, and, the, and the time that is put into knitting different things, and I think about how complex and detailed the human body actually is. You know, we got Doc Kosop in here and, and, and other medical field people in here, you know how just crazy the human body is, how this works with this to do this, and this works with that, and this operates through this, and this operates through that. It blows my mind how a God, a creator, could think about all of these different things. Now what I want you to do for a second is to close your eyes. I did this with the youth rally the other day because it just really blew my mind. So everybody just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to picture God sitting down at a table, So God is sitting at the table, and he's got all of these different uh, pieces sitting over here to his right, and he's gradually picking them up, and he's sitting down, he's taking time. And he's creating you. He's putting your arms together. He's putting your legs together. He's putting each individual hair on top of your head. And then once he gets your body formed, he's starting to put in the different organs that go together. And then he starts putting it together. once he's got all that, he's starting to put together your personality, your voice, your eye color, your hair color, all of these different things that we're thinking about. The detail and the time and the effort and all of these things. Open your eyes. Your God spent time creating you. See, we weren't created on an assembly line where all of us are just created together and it just goes through and we're just putting different pieces on at one time. No, 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 no. He knitted us. Into, in our mother's womb, he was piecing us together with much detail, with much effort, with much time, and much love. Anybody in here that knows a creator, the creation that a creator builds, you can tell which pieces they actually loved and which pieces they were actually just like, eh, okay, because the pieces that they actually put time into and the pieces they actually put effort into come out to be their best masterpieces. And they end up falling in love with their creation because they spent time. They spent effort. And God did that with every single one of us in here. Then you go down and it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows it very well. Well, I looked up what the term wonderfully made mean, And in the Hebrew, it was nepleti. And this means being set apart. God called you his from the very beginning of your life. He says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. What does he mean by that? He means you are mine. So before we were even born of our parents, before we were actually Josh Trooper, son of PJ and Terry Trooper, I was actually Josh Schwarz Trooper, son of the living God. I was called right there to say, You are my chosen God. I am your father. From the very beginning. How cool is that? And then the next part it says our soul knows it very well. Well how in the world can our soul know it very well? How in the world at this very beginning stage could we know that God had a part in creating us? Well we have to understand that God's fingerprint is all over us. Every aspect of us comes through. And, and, and the thing that blows my mind is that people could actually think that there was a big boom that happened in space and all of us just became who we are. I don't get that. What I get is I have a creator that spent time in creating me and he puts my fing- his fingerprints all over my body. I've got a video I want to show. And John, you want to get the lights there. I got a video I want to show about it's it's louis giglio and many of you guys have probably seen this before but louis giglio is big into creation and all of these wonderful things and he actually shows us a part of the body called laminin that is uh really cool so i just want you guys to see this for a second
1: long story short the tour was winding down last time around we were in tyler texas the night was over a guy walks up to me i wish i could tell you the whole story it was so of god introduces himself to me. He says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down, uh, where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool, what are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God and the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist. So I kind of stumbled through what I had. And he's kind of being kind and gracious and like, "Uh uh-huh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? You got to have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie, oh, man, your left hook is laminin. And I'm totally blank on lamin and he goes, "Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule. Protein molecule? Do you know about proteins?" I'm like, "No." He said, Louie, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like... All right. He said, no, Louie. It's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louie. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. I'm like, okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. (laughs) Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like... That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! <laughs> I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. <laughs> you should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now. Okay, this is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. <laughs> that's just crazy. I'm, I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast. I'm like, wow, 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 wow. What in the world? He said, do you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes. And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. how crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created, things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things things hold together. It's right right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And he goes on at the end of this paragraph, and he just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things. By making peace through his blood shed on a cross.
0: Once again, to think a big boom happened and that was created. I mean, God, when at the very beginning, the very essence of our creation, placed this thing that holds our body together in the shape of a cross. It's like his tag. You are mine. It's so cool when you think about all this stuff. And then you go on further on into Psalms and it says, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed before me. The coolest thing is, is God did not just create you and then throw you into this life with no plan. No purpose, no nothing. No, no, no. What God did is he went the extra mile and he planned your life out from the very beginning of your very first breath to the very end of your very last breath. He designed it this way so that he could be a part of everything and be glorified through everything. See, God, God his ways are so far above our ways that in creating us, He would go down to the very detail. God has planned every second, every hour, every number of hairs on your body. There was nothing that God forgot to do. It was for you, His creation. You were His masterpiece because He loved you. You were worth creating. So once he created us, then then we come down on this earth and and we live our lives. And and you guys know how the story goes from there. What we do is we live this life and we turn our backs to God. We turn our backs to him. He created us and and he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And what did they do? They chose sin over God. And then that pours down into all of us so that we turn to sin more times than we turn to God. And then what happens? He said, okay, I've got to fix this. So what does he do? He sins Jesus down to earth. And that's where we get to worth the time, worth the visit. And I said sometimes we actually think about, we actually forget about what Jesus left in order to come down to this earth. So turn with me to Philippians 2, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Where was Jesus before he decided to come down to this place we called earth? He was sitting at the right-hand throne of God. He was sitting there. He was experiencing this heaven that all of us talk about, all of us desire. Jesus is sitting there in its perfection. You know, I think about what is heaven? Scripture tells us that it is a place where streets are paved with gold. There's beautiful crystal clear waters, the stones, the rocks, the crystals— Everything is perfect there. Heaven is a place of no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Heaven is eternal with life abundantly, and God himself resides there. Now, if you would take, if you would take any place here on earth over that, man, I would question your thought process. Because you're going to a place where there is perfection in every place that you go. And the God that you serve, the God that has created you, is living there. And yet what happens? Christ says, you know what, God? You want me to go down there? I will leave this place of perfection to go down and be amongst the people that spit on you and curse your name daily. And I will go and I will experience pain. I will experience tears. I will experience hate. Because we look at our earth today and we see it as evil. It's dirty. It's polluted. It's ruled by darkness. It's full of death. There's pain, misery, unhappiness, sin, absence of love. Why in the world would Christ come down to this awful, terrible place? Well, I did some research and I found this thing by Dr. Roger Congdon and he talks about why did Jesus come? He's got 21 reasons here why Jesus come. I'm just going to mention a couple of these, but it says he came to abolish the law. He came to seek the lost. He came to save the lost. He came to serve. He came to do the will of God. He came to preach. He came to bear witness to the truth. He came to save sinners. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to bear our sins. And he came to provide a pattern of holy living for Christians. So you see that this this reason why Christ came down here is because basically he had to. He had to. Because he looked upon us and he thought, you know what? This, this creation that my father has done, this creation of people that are supposed to be worshiping him, have completely gone away from what they're supposed to. So the only way that we can bring them back is if I go down there. But I guarantee that there was a part of Jesus that was like, man, why do I have to go down there? God, look at this. Look at this place. It's awesome. Why would I want to leave this place? But see, as I, as I as I pondered this question the other day, I thought to myself, how willing he was to come. John six thirty eight. John six thirty eight says this. Let me turn there. It says, "For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me." So even in this moment, this is before, even before Christ came down to earth and lived this perfect life and showed us and set us an example of how to live a a Christian life, he was showing us before he even got here because he says it wasn't his will to come down here, but it was the will of his father. And he obeyed his father and he came down. What obedience has been shown there? The unwillingness, the unwillingness that he showed was non-existent. He was willing to do whatever the Father had asked him. And what was the will of God that he was talking about here in John? Well, I believe that for him to be glorified, that was the will of God. He wasn't being glorified anymore. And he, that, that was the only reason, that was the sole purpose of why we were created, to glorify God in everything that we did and we say. So the only reason to get ba- the only way to get back to that is by sending his son down. He saw the potential worth in us because he created us, so he sent and decided to leave this perfection in order to come and dwell amongst the sinners, in order to bring them back to God and obtain the worth that we once had. And that leads right into our next point, worth the death. I was explaining to the elders in the Our meeting this morning that, you know, I I had a completely wrong misconception when I was going through this scripture. And and what happens is when I go through this stuff and I have my own preconceptions going into this of what I want to say and what I want to do, I love whenever I start digging into the Word and start listening to guys so way more wiser than me and start listening to their different ways. I love being wrong. I love being wrong. Because what it shows is it shows that I have room to grow and that I need to grow. And so this particular question kept running through my head for days. And it really made me think. And the question was, was I worth the death of Christ on that cross? Was I really worth the death? I thought I knew the answer. But then after much thought, research, and prayer, I got my answer. No. No. I'm not worth death on that cross. You see, the cross is not a symbol of my worth. Just because Christ came and died on the cross for me does not signify any kind of worth that I gain from this cross. Because I did not deserve what happened or what Christ gave me when he died on that. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't worth that. What this cross shows is this cross shows my my sin. It shows my disobedience. It shows my ugliness. It shows my wretchedness to the core. Because Christ had to go to that cross not for me, but Christ had to go to the cross because of me. Do we understand that this morning? The cross didn't, Christ didn't have to go to the cross for me. He went because of me. I was supposed to be on that cross. Somebody had to pay the penalty for the sins that I have committed. And what happened is, is he stepped in and said, I will do that for you. But that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that I was worth the death of that cross. So where is the worth of the cross to me? Where is the worth of this death? Well, the worth of the cross was the man that was hanging on it. He was the only one that was worth anything. Romans 3, nine to 12 says this. Romans 3, nine to 12 says this. It says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. This particular passage sums up our worth as human beings, but it also shows the love that God has for us. Because see, what had happened was, I had been looking at the love that Christ showed me on that cross in a very humanly view. Because my thing is, is if somebody in my life has a lot of worth to me, we'll we'll go ahead and throw out my potential wife, my future wife. I'm looking at her, and I—I I, she has a ton of worth to me. So would I die for her? Absolutely, because she has so much worth to me. But see, but see, that's that's how we view. That's how we view love. If you have worth to me, I would die for you. But here's how God takes love, and Christ takes love. It's so awesome when you think about it this way, because what it does is. Christ looks at me and says, you have, you have no worth to me because you, you don't love me. You have turned from me. As John Piper says, "That we have prostituted our bodies out to sin, so we have turned our backs to God. And we have really said, you have no worth to me, God, so really we don't have any worth to God anymore. But what he does is that he looks at us and says, you know what? You've done all these things, but I'm still going to die for you. I'm still gonna die for you. That is that agape, unconditional love that none of us can really comprehend because when we look at it from our point of view is, yeah, I would die for somebody that I feel like I have, that has worth to me, but really, I, would, I, I can't honestly sit up here and say to you right now that I would die for somebody that I don't really know or that I would die for somebody that has done me wrong. I can't say that here today, but God can because he died for each and every one of us out there that were not worth the death. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we look at the cross and the death of Christ as a way to show how valuable we are, we totally take the power of the cross away. We take the power of Christ away. We take the love of God away when we look at that cross and look at it as a way of, man, I was was worth enough for Christ to go die on that cross for us. We take complete power away from that. We make the cross all about us and we forget about Christ. John Piper puts it in a very clear about the purpose behind the cross. He puts it very clearly here. He says, Paul says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The logic of those verses is inescapably plain. Inescapably plain. Inescapably plain. Everything about us was undeserving of what God paid for us. This is the very meaning of grace. The very meaning of grace. In this particular article that I was reading, he was was answering a question that somebody had asked him and says, does Christ dying on the cross really show how much I'm worth to God? And John Piper says, no, it doesn't. It actually shows the absolute opposite. It actually shows how unworthy we were of the cross, but it shows God's great love that he still sent his son for us. And what he said, the guy said, Well, God chose to die for human beings. He didn't choose to die for horses. And John Piper responds with, Yeah, horses would have been a lot easier to die for. Because horses hadn't turned their back on God, horses hadn't sinned against God, but we had. So it was much more difficult for him to die for us. And then I wrote down here, Worth eternity. Guys, we, we have to understand that whenever we come to this knowledge of the saving knowledge of Christ, and we understand that there was a death that was paid for us. And now that we have died that sin, now we have died to that sin because of Christ. Now we have the worth of Christ. Christ lives within us. But the thing is, we have to be careful is that we don't understand that the worth that we have is anything to do with us. I don't care how talented you are, how much money you got. How, how influential you are. I don't care. I don't care anything about you because my thing is if you don't have Christ living in your heart, living, if you don't have Christ part of your life, you are worth absolutely zilch because there is nothing worthy inside of us as human beings but only the worth that was placed upon us that day that Christ died for us and we accept that invitation. That is where we find Our worth. God gave us worth at the beginning. We were very worthy at the beginning. That's how God created us to be. But what had happened is we had turned to sin. And then when we did that, we become worthless. Because we what? We turned our back to God. Worth something because we had God in the beginning. Worthless because we had turned our backs on God. Now we're back to being worth everything because God had died for us and he is our identity now. So in closing, I ask you the question that I did at the beginning. Are you worth it? In the beginning, God designed you, your very being. He designed your body, your personality, your ways, your life, and ultimately he imprinted himself in you from the very beginning. You were worth creating to him. But then man decided to go down a dark and painful path. Whenever sin entered the world and we began to follow our flesh instead of God. What does God do? He sends his son. Jesus leaves his perfection in heaven and came down to this earth to walk with us, talk with us, and ultimately die because of us. And in the beginning, we were created in the image of God and we had extraordinary worth and then we prostituted our bodies out to sin and therefore we became worthless. But now since Christ had come back, our worth is restored because Christ is our identity. So how do we get back to this worth? How do we get back to what God has designed us to be? There's people in here today that haven't experienced the life-changing death that was that was paid on that cross. There are people in here that haven't experienced that yet. So how do we get back to the worth that God created us to have? We must understand that we have no worth whatsoever. And that the only worth that we can obtain is solely by accepting the invitation, the knocking at the door from the, ones, from the one who is worth more than anything in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. When we truly accept Christ into our heart, we find our worth. We understand exactly who we are when we have fully let the gospel of Christ change our lives every aspect of our lives. I love what Mary Jo shared this morning because that is an aspect of our lives that show, if you, if you find yourself constantly saying things, not watching our words, our words are a good indication of where our heart is. And if today, if you, are, if you are struggling with that, if you're struggling with that, understand that God is waiting for you to fully dive in. Not one foot in, one foot out. He's waiting for you to fully dive in so that you can experience this worth that is above anything that you've ever experienced in your life. And if you're in here today and you're feeling worthless, you feel like you have no purpose, you feel like you have no good inside of you, you do when you accept Christ into your life. And when you do that, you will feel worthless no more because you will have a father in heaven that looks down upon you and says, you are my chosen son or daughter in Christ. And I love you. And when he looks down upon you, he sees the blood of Christ covering all your sins. So ultimately, you are worth something to God. You are worth something to God. Walk in that today. I've got a video I'm going to show just kind of our, as, our, as our closing song. And just kind of a closing. It's, it's a video that just kind of shows you, kind of, it kind of talks about our identity in Christ. And when you fully accept Christ, Christ into your life and what that means. It gives us many different examples of worth and just, just different things. It's, it's really cool. It's like a little sermon jam thing. So after this, uh, Alex will come up for the benediction. So let me pray and uh, then we'll watch this short video. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. Lord, Lord, I thank you so much that, uh, that you created us Lord, as we sit and we think about all the different uh, aspects of our body and our lives and how you're orchestrating all of them, Father, it it just blows my mind that, uh, that the God of, the creator of the universe, Lord, a universe that we can't even comprehend how big it is, Lord, you would look down upon little old me and spend time on me and create me and love me and plan my days ahead of me. Lord, I thank you so much for that. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your son down, Lord, to show us how to walk, to show us how to talk, to show us how to love other people. Lord, to live a perfect life, Lord, so that he could go to the cross and pay our penalty, the penalty that we deserve to have. And because of us, Christ is killed on a cross, but Lord, because of the death that Christ had paid on that cross, Lord, we finally gain our worth back because we make Christ the center of our lives, make Christ our identity. And because of that, Lord, we get the eternity to spend in heaven with you, walking in the place that Jesus had once left, walking in the place of of perfection, of love, of abundant life. Lord, uh, walking in a place with no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. And Lord, ultimately just living our lives glorifying and worship you forever and ever and ever. Lord, I pray this morning, if, if anybody in here is struggling with worth, Lord, that you, you let them see that, you, that they are worth it to you. Lord, that you have sent your son down to die on a cross, Lord, so that they can go from worthless beings to be worth everything just by accepting the death of Christ. Now I pray that we all take that to heart this week as we walk in our lives. And we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.